Hey friends, in the, uh, in the weeks ahead, I hear you're gonna be uh, hearing a lot of stories about me and I just want you to know all the good ones are true, all the embarrassing ones people made up. But I wanna tell you one thing that I can say with great confidence and that is in 21 years, I've never had to carry the load here at Bergen Park Church alone. God has always surrounded us with people that have made deep and permanent and uh, uh, you know, long contributions uh, to the family life here. So uh, in these last few weeks that I'm with you, I'm talking about some of the founders and thoroughly embarrassing them. And they've all said yes out of love for me and for the Lord. These people over the years have served both the Lord and Bergen Park Church in some very marvelous ways. And I want to Rob and Pam Montgomery, if you would stand, because they're sort of a success story with us. Um, and I say success because when Rob first started coming here, he had walked away from the church and therefore pretty much from the Lord uh, since he was a child, he said. And I don't blame him because he grew up Baptist. Um, no. Uh, uh, but, you know, in the 21 years since I've been here, they were here before I arrived. And they were pretty much newly married. And Rob had not yet thoroughly placed his trust in Christ, and Pam was starting over. And in about the year 2000, at a Promise Keepers March in Washington, D.C., uh, Rob placed his trust in Jesus Christ and since then has been growing. And one of the ways that he's been growing is just consistently serving. Uh, Rob and Pam do not have children, but you will find that Pam has been involved uh, in many of our ministries to the children. VBS, nursery, you'll often find her holding babies. She's been invited into some of the uh, some of the delivery rooms by some of our mothers. It, it's been uh, wonderful to see how she is not just uh, getting things done in a serving way, but attached very deeply to people. Um, uh, she was the director of the pregnancy center when I first moved here. Uh, the one thing that I want to say about Pam is she knows Evergreen, especially the commercial region of Evergreen. And whenever I'm thinking about how do we touch the community, how do we do this, how do we do that, Pam is our go-to person. She knows the business community here in Evergreen. Um, uh, Rob and Pam, uh, well, Rob trained as an engineer. He switched to nursing, and I forget how many doctorate degrees they've given him in nursing. It is at least two. It is possible that it is three. Um, and so you'd think, what is he doing serving? Well, he, uh, first of all, uh, he has his doctorate in pain management. So I never get an aspirin except through him. But more than that, um, you will find him doing some of the things that you say, well, why, why is he doing that with all of his background? You'll see him back there on the, on the uh, uh, sound booth. You'll, um, uh, you'll see him uh, for many years as a trustee and then became the head of the trustees. 
If you see someone riding on a bicycle in the area, the chances are one out of three, it's Rob. Um, he has a positive spirit. It's perfect for what's needed in his years as a trustee. And he'll serve at anything. And we are grateful for Rob and Pam. Um, Rob has helped me research salary scales. He's worked on the soundboard. Whatever he does, he does with excellence and a smile. So thank you, Rob and Pam, for all you've done for the Lord and for Bergen Park Church these last 21 years. God bless you. Well, the question was, what, with what crowd did you associate, especially in high school? And the picture here, for those of you who are 40-somethings, this is the movie The Breakfast Club. I, I wouldn't let my children watch it growing up because I thought it was a bad example. The Breakfast Club was one of the groups I never uh, associated with in high school. The Breakfast Club was Saturday morning detention. And they would have to go there because they had either skipped school or uh, misbehaved or, you know, one of those people that as soon as the bell rings, they put on their bad attitude in high school. That was the group that my dad said, you get involved with them, don't count on using the car. Uh, <clears throat> the other group that I didn't associate well with was the party kids who every weekend would find some place to go wild. I really got invited to their parties, and the one time that I went, I was so out of place. I'm dull. Uh, more than that, I did not drink, I do not smoke, I did not get high, and I didn't know how to talk cool. So um, I left after a couple hours. Now you gotta hear the rest of this story, because it was on a Friday night. It was in one of the canyons uh, in the foothills behind Pasadena. So I left by 10 o'clock, I went home, and I go to school Monday morning, and I find out the party had been raided about an hour after I left. Did I feel so good for me <laughs> and so bad for them? Uh, so my dad had always threatened, you know, if, if, uh, if you think you're going to college, don't, you know, whatever you do, don't think that I'm going to come to the sheriff's station, which is where they all were, and come and pick you up. Every one of them had their parents called and had to come and pick them up. Then they had to go back up into the canyon and collect their cars. Wow. It is that very same summer that uh, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And in that summer, I find myself getting uh, associated with a new crowd. Uh, and it was a crowd I had never really wanted to be a part of in the past, but now they seem far more attractive. And like it or not, following Jesus Christ gives you a new perspective on people, and you might say crowds or, or groups of people. Think about it. Which do you admire? Which do you emulate? Which do you avoid? Which do you engage? We move uh, to the groups that best identify with our faith will do that naturally. But also as we follow Jesus, we have to understand we're to move towards the groups that maybe we have chosen in the past to avoid. We follow Jesus to those who are not like us because Jesus is the man for all peoples. And we come to a point today in, in the Gospel of Mark 
where he associates once again with people. By, by helping them, he's doing him harm. Simple as that. So in his three years of ministry, we know that Jesus never travels probably more than 100 miles from the place of his birth, except as an infant when they take him to Egypt. Wherever he goes, people seek him out, especially for the physical needs of their lives. By that, I mean they're not asking so much for money, but they're always asking for healing. And Jesus also teaches. He teaches a lot. And as the son of God, his words are true, but unfortunately the truth can hurt. It can be disruptive if you think your life is you know, pretty well under control. But his teaching is also comforting for those who know that they need God's mercy. And his behavior is consistent with his words. So now we're in Mark 7. We've just seen him criticized about what's being eaten and, and whether they were washing their hands or not before, uh, 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 before they entered their household. And at this time, Jesus makes another retreat. Now, J Jesus in, in the Gospel of Mark goes to get away several times. And he especially has a, a, a boat, you might say, route where he gets in the boat in Capernaum and he goes to the other side of the lake. But the last time, two times he's done that, they followed him. They go around the lake while he takes the straight side across. And they get here before him. So this time he gets away to a place where he doesn't want to be seen. And he doesn't want to be known. And as he gets there, unfortunately, his, uh, his reputation, you might say, precedes him. And those who should not know about him, are at least curious and perhaps very, very needy because he is the most talked about celebrity of the day. Jesus has celebrity status as a prophet. So one woman with a great need would just will not be stopped. And understand her need is not for herself, but it's for her daughter who... Um, she's just insistent about her need. You see, the daughter has this demon possession. Let me read from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Tyre is like um, Lebanon, okay? Um, so he goes from the Sea of Galilee and he goes up to Tyre. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. She would not be stopped. She was insistent. Now think about this. When you have a headache, you take an aspirin. When you have a, a, a stomach ache, you take a Tums. When you have cancer, you see an oncologist, or at least I did. When you have a bad hip, you see an orthopedic surgeon. When you have a demon, you see Jesus. Everything else that she has tried would not work. She has heard that Jesus has cast out demons. And so it says this in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. 
So Matthew writes the same thing, but he adds a couple things, probably because Matthew was right there at, you know, at that moment. And, and so she calls him son of David. She asks mercy and she just explains uh, in a quote form, uh, my daughter is suffering from demon possession. Well, uh, in that plea, uh, what she is admitting is everything from my culture, because she is not a Jew, uh, everything from my background, uh, it doesn't seem to work. Everything that everybody else tries here up in the, this region is not working. Her religion, her culture, her medicine, they all have no remedy for demon possession, or at least for this girl. And Jesus has cast out demons wherever he's been. His disciples on their mission trip, uh, they have cast out demons. So now he's in a non-Jewish region. It's called Gentiles. You think of Gentile, it just means not Jew. And, and uh, he is asked to do it again, this time by one woman. Only this time Jesus is reluctant. And he opens up a new window for us in terms of what is genuine faith? Where can genuine faith be seen? Because this is a woman who has a stigma. It says this in verse 26. A woman who was Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia, that means northern Lebanon, she begged Jesus to drive out her daughter, uh, drive the demon out of her daughter. So everything that is uh, described here about this woman uh, is disqualifying her from being with Jesus or from Jesus helping her. Her gender, her gender, she's a woman with a daughter. In Israel, the man would come to see Jesus. He would say, stay here, Golda, I'll do that work for you. You stay here and take care of the child. Where's the husband? We don't know. Her language, she speaks Greek as her first language, not as the Jews do as their trade language. Her place of birth, Matthew calls her a Canaanite, but she is called a Syrophoenician, meaning that the Jews do not want to have much contact with her. And her religion, uh, she is not a, a Jew living in another country or a worshiper of Yahweh. She is an idol-worshiping, false god-believing Gentile woman that all the Jews are told to avoid. Stay out of this uh, crowd. And so by helping her, Jesus, in terms of his reputations with the Jews, is hurting himself. So there we have it. Uh, she falls at his feet. She calls him Lord, showing great respect for him. The only person who calls Jesus Lord in the Gospel of Mark is a foreign woman. Well, <clears throat> Now, Jesus answers her, and as he answers her, I want you to know he has a reason for what he's about to explain. So Jesus is a man with an answer, and he's also a man for all peoples, but first he gives her the answer. See, the mission of Jesus is to the children of Israel. He's willing to speak to her, and for those of you that believe in political correctness, which you know we want to be kind, we want to be nice, we want to be approachable, uh, these words of Jesus might just sound a little racist to you, but he's not. He's stating his mission. His mission is to the Jews, and the Jews 
are waiting for the prophesied Messiah. He is the answer to centuries, may I say millennials, millenniums of Jewish prayers. They are praying that the successor of Moses will come. And the successor from David's line will come. So he kindly tells her that he has not come to that region for ministry to the Gentiles. He's come to be secluded. He's healed many, he's taught many, and he will feed many Gentiles soon. But that is not the reason why he's there. Verse 27, he says, first, let the children eat all they want. Talking about a household here with children. He told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. He called her a dog. I've been called dog. Um, didn't like it. Uh, I've been called a lot of things. Don't like most of them, but I've been called, you know, I've been called a dog. It, it goes down hard. I just want you to know that there are dogs and there are dogs, okay? Let me talk about three types of dogs that you'll find in scripture. There's the wild dogs. By that, I mean coyotes, hyenas, jackals, dingoes, and wolves. They usually stay outside of the city. Then there are the scavenger dogs, the grown-up dogs that roam the cities and the trash heaps looking for food. In, in Roman times, when they did a crucifixion, uh, a crucified body was usually taken down and thrown in a trash heap. And by nightfall, the dogs would be eating the corpse. Um, those are the wild dogs, you might say, the scavenger dogs. But there's a third type of dog. There's the dachshund dog. There's the toy poodle dog. There's a little chihuahua in your purse dog, okay? These are called the little dogs, and that's the word Jesus uses. He's talking about a household here that has pets. Many of you have had pets as they grow up. Now, I know up here in the mountains, you, you know, you got to have a lab. You've got to have a, you know, a, a retriever. you got to have something really big. But this is talking about just the things that will play with the kids. Household pets. These pets are loved by the children. They're loved by the parents. They're cared for and they're fed. And Jesus tells her in a very nice way, you are cute and you are loved, but you're not family. He has come for the Jews. And this woman, without a second's hesitation or without taking offense, responds in a way that just demands our admiration. Yes, Lord. Again, she calls him Lord. Only time, okay? Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Have you ever been with a person who by nature or by class or by background, you just don't like? You don't know the person, but everything that you know about that person, you don't like. But after a little time together, you can't help but learn to like the person as an individual. Uh, Barb's not here today, but I think she'd say that of me, okay? Uh, and it sort of worked out. Um, God has tested me, as you were hearing this morning, with the gypsies of Europe. I've been robbed by the gypsies of Europe, once in um, Romania and once in Moscow. 
Uh, I look at their uh, fortune telling and the curses and the, and the begging that go on, and I'm just horrified by them. Uh, uh, more than that, I, I, have, uh, I, I, I have been talking to some of the gypsies who were the orphans we ministered to, and I remember sometimes they were smiling at me while calling me some of the worst names in the world. And I wouldn't have known any difference if I hadn't got a, to a translator and said, what did he just say? You don't want to know. Yes, I do want to know. Well, when you, when, you, when, you, when you finally get it translated, this is at least the attitude that wells up on me. See if I'm ever going to help you again. I remember having to search their baggage at the end of the camp, uh, hoping that we wouldn't find any of our supplies hidden away in, in, in their baggage, but they were. These were the very supplies that the kids in the next camp needed and we couldn't do the next camp if we didn't have these supplies. I know that if they had these things, they would be selling them for sweets or for cigarettes or some of them to get high. And yet these gypsy children hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They place their faith in him and in their own way begin to follow him carrying just a lot of hurt and pain and brokenness in their lives and I must admit sometimes they gave me a hug and I put my hand in my back pocket because I knew the reputations of some of these kids well this woman is somewhat similar not not exactly as broken as these kids but she gives a reply that just changes everything. Her reply is a combination of faith and wit. And Jesus, though, so he says, I'm not here for you Gentiles. I'm not here for uh, idol-worshiping Syrophoenician women who come without their husbands. Jesus hears her reply, and he likes her. And without knowing much about Judaism... She has sought him out for help. I don't think she realized she didn't qualify. And Jesus proves at this moment that he really is a man for all peoples. So then he tells her, for such a reply, you may go and the, and the demon has left your daughter. And we go, and that's the last we hear of her. Without interacting with her for more than two minutes, he sees in her faith, he sees in her a faith that he wishes the children of God, the Jews, would exhibit towards him. See, they are being fed, but they don't like what Jesus is giving them. And she is not a child, but she's eager to take whatever Jesus will offer to a pet dog under the table. Now, I want you to understand that when Jesus Christ comes into our lives... Uh, the Holy Spirit comes in too, and there are some transformational uh, transactions that occur in our lives. But some of the hardest things to, to leave and be changed by the, the Holy Spirit are the traditions we grow up with. We hold on to them. And for the first several years in the church in Jerusalem, they were asking this question, well, who can be saved? You see, for the first several years, it all dealt with the Jews in Jerusalem. And then it spread throughout Judea. 
So the disciples reach the Jews in large numbers. Even some priests and Pharisees come to the Lord. And the religious leaders push back through warnings, through beatings, through imprisonment, through, and, and even through murder. Uh, Stephen is stoned and James is executed. So the disciples continue to reach mainly Jews. And they, the Jews are spread out all around the Mediterranean. And they set up synagogues to show that there's a community of at least 10 families in that region. And, and so the apostles go to the synagogues uh, surrounding the area. And they realize that they'll have to deal with God's love uh, uh, when they confront uh, some of these God-fearers, is what they were called, people who were not Jews but who worshipped Yahweh and went to the synagogue. Uh, they were not Jewish by race, they were not Jewish by background, and they were newcomers to the faith. God-fearers was their name. And um, the apostles will have to deal with them. Uh, and, and luckily, they don't have to for a while. But last week when I was sharing uh, about Peter's vision, where he was told, now you can eat everything and we have to let go of uh, you know, our, our dietary restrictions and, and the traditions of washing hands and stuff, we, we can let go of those things. In that very same vision, it ends up with him going to the house of a Roman centurion. And as he goes to this house, he realizes, I've never been allowed to go into a Gentile home before, especially a Roman soldier. But because of that vision, he, he's, he understands I'm to go there and I'm probably to go inside. He goes inside. Uh, the, the centurion Cornelius has had a very similar vision uh, and so he's been told to go fetch Peter and bring him there. And, and, and he goes, I'm told just to bring you here. That's what God told me to do. And you're supposed to tell me something. So with the whole household gathered, Peter begins to speak about Jesus. He shares who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and all of these years of experiences that he's had with Jesus. And in the midst of him sharing about the forgiveness of God, and, and the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit falls on the whole household, and these Gentile God-fearers uh, suddenly are just like the disciples at Pentecost. So the dogs under the table are getting the crumbs. Isn't that good? Well, let's put it another way. The dogs under the table are getting the lamb chops. But it's just one household. The apostles agreed that God has opened up his family to this one God-fearing household. So it says in Acts eleven eighteen, when the apostles heard this, they had uh, no further objection, saying, so, so then God has granted even Gentiles repentance unto life. But what they were saying is this one house, this one house, this one house. And then that tradition would be tested by the Holy Spirit in the same chapter. Um, because some of those who were preaching Jesus Christ, it says in, in Acts 11, uh, 20, some of them went from Cyprus and Cyrene and went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks in large numbers, is what they're talk, talking about, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So God opens up his family, not just to this one family, but now through these people, he's opening up to everyone. In the city of Antioch in Syria, large numbers of Gentiles hear about Jesus and place their faith in him. 
Now, we're not talking about just one God-fearing synagogue-attending family. That can be absorbed. We are talking about a church mainly of non-Jews, a synagogue that has more non-Jews probably than Jews, and now there's hundreds of them. Friends, it's getting out of hand. And if the apostles in Jerusalem are not careful, there may be more of them, the dogs, than there are of us, the children. And that will upset everything. This is followed by mission trips that uh, go out of Antioch. And, and, and they go to places like Syria and Turkey uh, and eventually over to Europe. And now, time and time again, each new church is made up more of those who are not Jews than those who are. So the apostles say, we better have a council here. We better, we, we, either we got to put a stop to this or open the floodgates as one or the other because there's some of us who are leaders of the church who are saying, these are scavenger dogs. They're going to ruin us. And there's others who are calling them, these are the puppy dogs in the home. But God is already calling them family. You are already children. You are already given a seat at the table with the family of God. Paul, in one of his first letters, writes to a church that is full of dogs. And as a Jew's Jew, he understands his mission is now to these little puppies. And he says it about as clearly as we can say, in Christ we are all one family. Faith is what makes person a family member, not their heritage. A family member is one who gets a seat at the table. And so the disciples now, now must all return to this one incident of this two-minute, perhaps, interview of Jesus explaining why he was here to help the children and feed the children first. And they go back to that, and they must remember that Jesus opened up the floodgates. So that's followed by a Roman soldier, and now the majority of a new church, and then scores of churches are filled with dogs. We look at it today. Now we have Irish dogs and Albanian dogs. We have Korean dogs and Arab dogs and Chilean dogs and Botswanan dogs. In my 40th reunion, I had my dog under the table experience. 40 years after graduation from high school, one of those who was arrested and his parents had to go pick him up uh, was at the 40th reunion. He had been a star gymnast and a star surfer. Um, <clears throat> and you don't get to surf much in Pasadena. You're always hitchhiking to get to the beach. And he had really given himself to that. Uh, as a part of the surfer crowd, he got real rough in his senior year. He skipped school, barely graduated. He was one of those, you might say, in the, who should have been in the, in the breakfast club, but I doubt if he ever showed up. So here we are 40 years later. He comes to me and he says, uh, you're Jim DeMola, right? I said, what gave that away? The bald head? Um, and he goes, uh, I just want you to know, uh, 
we didn't associate much in high school, but um, when I turned 20, I, when I was in my 20s, I turned to the Jesus and I got baptized through the Jesus movement there at the beach that you and I have surfed together at. And now he tells his story to the next generation of dropout surfers. Is God funny or what? He is truly amazing. I am taught this lesson again and again by the abandoned gypsy children of Romania. I must admit, I see the way they live and I'm intimidated. You know, some of them are only this tall. How, why am I afraid of someone this tall? But I keep in my heart the remembrance that they are now at the table, not under it. And it gets down to this. As a human being, there are people and groups of people who intimidate and revile me. I judge them. You might also. But this woman and others that Jesus accepts tells us this, that Jesus has never created a person he does not intensely love. And there's no list of names. These are the exclusions. I will never love these people. There's no list of names for those who can never receive forgiveness, who can never be transformed by the Holy Spirit. So it's the same at your school, students, no matter how the other crowd treats you. It's the same at your work, those of you who go to work tomorrow, no matter how narcissistic, narcissistic or self-centered they may be. It's the same in your community, in your, in your world. God loves them and wants these dogs to have a seat at his table. I was a dog. And my job is to ask for God's heart for these people, to engage them, to look for the opportunity to share what Jesus has done for me. Let's pray. Father, forgive at least my prejudice and my judgmentalism. Sometimes just the way people dress scares me. And I put them into a category of those I want nothing to do with. I want to see people from your vantage point created to be seated at your family table. Not just to be cute or loved or abhorred, but to be seated at your table together. From little puppy to a child of God, use me to bring people there. And I ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Let's stand.